0: Well, good evening, y'all. Good evening. Oh, no. How I many you have a better Good evening, y'all. Good evening. I say y'all. If you don't say y'all, then y'all is in the Greek. It's in your New Testament Bible. No, it's there. Um, all right, so, first off, I'm honored to be with you all. <laughs> uh, I'm honored to be with you guys tonight. And for the mothers and the fathers and the grandmothers and grandfathers, if we have any here, all right, so check it out. I um, we're gonna read some stuff, and I like doing um, I like doing like corporate reading. Can we do that together? Like, yeah, yeah. we can read, so we can do that. Um, so we're gonna read a little bit of this together. You can see the the, the fade there is Jesus in Matthew twenty five, but we gotta read a lot of text because I need you to step inside the story because when the scripture. When the scriptures are read, it's not just trying to impart sort of information, right? Like it's trying to cast a vision of the world that God envisions. Um, It's trying to get us to imagine the world as God sees it uh, despite its brokenness. Where He's trying to get us to imagine the world that God's recreating, right? So, and we need to be a part of that recreating. So we need to, let's read this together and try and envision it. All right, ready? Well, first off, I'll cue you because it'll be weird if we do it the whole time. Alright, so I'll do this. When I do this, that means you read, right? So I'll say this, and you go read. So I'll do this, and you go read. Right? But you will actually read. <laughs> there we go. Alright, so we're good. For it is just like a man... This is Jesus talking. For it is just like a man going on a journey, he called his own servants and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave... Five pounds. Pounds. <laughs> To another... Two. To another... One to each according to his own ability. Then he went on the journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents, he went and put them to work and earned five more. And in the same way, the man with two, two, earned, earned, two earned two more. <laughs> you, were, you were there. <laughs> but the man who had received one, one talent. talent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> y'all, uh, they just take <laughs> over. So the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Alright. Is that is that was that it? No. Alright, okay. okay, okay. Alright. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. <laughs> Look, I've earned five more talents. So his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will be in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. I was going to say joy. Satisfaction. It doesn't mean sort of a fleeting happiness. It's a deep sense of contentment and satisfaction. Okay, so it includes a sense of emotive response, of joy, of happiness, but it's about satisfaction. So in a sense, when the master is saying, sharing your master's joy, he's saying, share your master's satisfaction, which includes the goodness and the beauty of all that the master has to offer. Alright, then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. <laughs> oh, man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went off at the of your talent. and he ran, look, you have what's yours. But his master replied to him, you now, say this with a little passion. Alright? You evil, lazy servant. Welcome to varsity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That'll draw, man. Like,
0: if you knew then I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For right? everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good for nothing slave. Into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You feel good yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So let me ask you something. What did all the servants have in common? Okay, they all had talent as a form of money, right? So they all had money. What else did all the servants have in common? Okay, they had the same masters. They had the same master. They all had been entrusted with something. Now, what did the two who received the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, what did those two folks have in common? They did something with it, right? Okay, what else? They multiplied it. They multiplied it as well. What else? They didn't get insulted by the master. They didn't insult the master, they uh, didn't get insulted by the master. Here's the thing that the two had that I want to talk about tonight because it gets us to the place of investing. See, the two that invested in, that took what was given to them and invested it, those two had something in common, this, this something we call courage. They had courage. They didn't have faith. They had courage. And what I think this parable teaches among all the many things that it offers is it reminds us that it doesn't matter what we have. It only matters the, what we do, and the thing about I love about the story is, is clearly it's setting the stage that there are going to be some people who just have more, like have more ability, more gift, more capacity. Raise your hand if you tried to play sports, but you just couldn't, no matter how hard you tried. <laughs> right, right, like all you poor unathletic people. I mean, like, no, so raise your hand if you tried to play music and you just couldn't make music happen. Seriously? <laughs>
1: yeah, I know, right.
0: Like, why are y'all bringing up my issues? Um, like, but no matter how hard you try, you just couldn't make it happen, right? Raise your hand if you try to do engineering-type work, and you try to put things together, but you just can't do it. Raise your hand. Thank you, Marty. I love you. like, <laughs> 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 was... so, yeah, but raise your hand if you can put stuff together and you're just like a master of engineering things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Master, master, the thing is, is there some of us, like, you, we know that there are some of us who have more gifts than others, and that's okay. It's not about being better. It's just the reality some of us are wired with different capacities. And a lot of times what we do is we think that because this person has more capacity for this than I do, that somehow that person has more to give than I have. But that's not what this story teaches. This story is a very plain to me, saying at least Jesus is trying to open our imagination with a parable and say, it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. And that's not, that's not like mind-blowing stuff. Until we get caught up in this sort of systems of, these systems of anxiety that move us and and compel us to start comparing with other people. Or until we see somebody outperform us. And then all of a sudden now it matters. And in its worst way, what could happen is we begin to play it safe. And so it takes courage, right? So I want to offer a definition of courage. Courage, Christian courage, particularly Christian courage. Christian courage is a willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the cost. Because God in Christ has promised to be with us and keep us. And here's, here's how this works. I think Christ followers have to figure out the difference between what the world of of the Scripture envisions as courage um, versus what society envisions as courage. Sometimes they're not the same thing. Sometimes they're even opposite. And we find ourselves at times lacking the courage to pursue the right things because the right things might cost us something. And the problem with courage is we don't really know how to fully grasp it until we've been able to witness what I think this story offers is a witness, right? I think this story offers a witness as to what courage looks like. It doesn't look like having more than somebody else. It doesn't even look like comparing myself with somebody else. It simply looks like having the the courage. It looks like just doing something with what I have, but something that is not safe. See, what the one person did was they buried it because they wanted to play it safe because they had this view of the master, that the master would do something adversely to them if they didn't play it safe. And the master in the story kind of calls that out and says, well, if you thought I was as bad as you thought, you know, as, as I, if I really was that bad, then why didn't you, why didn't you try? But this, this isn't about trying. This is about courage. And first thing I want to do is debunk the idea that it matters what you have. And call you to the idea that it matters what you do with what you have. Because that's what you've got. Right? And you're going to be invited into decisions and into inequalities and injustices and in moments of decision where you're not going to have what the person on the platform may have, but what you have is exactly enough if you'll do something with it. That's going to take courage. And it's always going to look like doing the right thing even when it's hard. And it's not always going to be the right thing. In line with what society says is right it's not always going to be the right thing in light of what maybe those who love us tell is right tells us is right we have to envision the world that god is seeing trying to get us to see and help us understand that right looks like jesus my grand thesis in ministry pastoral work poverty work has always been real simple if what I believe cannot be witnessed in the life and the person of Jesus, then I need to rethink what I believe. Like if I can't see it lived out in the incarnation of God himself, if I cannot see the God who says he enfleshed humanity, he came and he did and he showed and he modeled and he embodied, if I can't see my belief played out in him, then I might need to at least rethink my belief. And that's the thing about courage. Is courage is never going to be something you try. Courage is going to be something for which you train. And that's the other thing about the story. We can all try things. But this isn't about trying. Courage is always cultivated within a context of training. And not just that. Courage isn't something we do individually. Courage is something we always train with communally. In other words, it takes a community to make us courageous. And it's real simple. So if I'm real... I'm real um, protective of my love. Because I've been hurt. I've been wounded. And I play it safe with love. I play it safe with vulnerability. I can do that. I can do that by myself easily. Because nobody's there pushing and prodding and pressing me into vulnerability or into love. But when I get in a community, Even if the community is not encouraging me to be vulnerable, even if the community is creating space for me to risk love, what ends up happening is the community requires me to at least be loved. That's what community does. And that takes courage, especially when you've been wounded time time and time and time and time and time again. But community is where we learn to be courageous. So the scriptures say that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and then there's this one called patience. And the reason why the Christian journey has to be lived in community, and the reason why community has to be the place where we learn to be courageous, is because there has to be people in our community that we can't stand. <laughs> like, I be mean, really. Like, the thing about the Christian community is we don't get to choose who sits at the table, right? Like, that's one of the premises of the Christian faith, that all are really, like, literally all, everyone. Uh, And all in the Greek, like it translates literally, you ready? All. Like like it (laughs) means all. So all are welcome to the table, right? Like that's the prince of the gospel, that Christ, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God, the love of God, the presence of God, God, is made available to all. So then you and I are going to choose who sits at the table. But yet we figure out our lives choosing who sits to our tables, and God has said, you don't get to do that. And so when we come to a community, particularly Christian community, now we're called to be courageous because we have to love and welcome, embrace, learn to love, even learn to like people we don't want to, and that takes courage. It takes community. And there's a reason in the first of the Spirit says... Or the scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If you don't have somebody in your life testing your patience, then the Spirit can not produce patience. <laughs> it's, just, it's just common sense, right? Like, if you don't have somebody in your life challenging your love, then can the Spirit really produce love? But if we do what society does, and we create our categories of separation and belonging, and we determine who's in and who's out, then we get to choose who we love. And that doesn't take courage at all. That's all plain and say. So here's my major thesis. You can choose safety or you can choose courage, but you can't have both. Not if you're going to follow Jesus. You can choose safety or you can choose courage. But if I'm watching Jesus move into the places that he moved, welcoming the people he welcomed, you can't have both. Not if you're going to follow him there. But it's only following him there that we find multiplication. It's only in following Jesus into those spaces and in those places that we find life turning into human flourishing. See, so when I was asked to talk about investing, what I was really asked to talk about is human flourishing. What I was really asked to the only way for a community of people to be life-giving is if the people in the community are willing to give a little bit of life. In that takes courage. But you can't play it safe and have courage. And here's the strange thing about playing it safe. See, we oftentimes play it safe because we don't want to be vulnerable. And what we don't always realize is anytime we play it safe, we're making ourselves the most vulnerable. It's not a question of will you be vulnerable, it's a question of to what will you be vulnerable. And if I play it safe, I'm going to make myself vulnerable to despair because I'm going to feel alone. The loneliness is when to feel alone. But if I'm willing to ditch safety for courage and I'm willing to enter into community and let the community call me into I will find myself getting hurt, because love requires vulnerability. I will find myself getting healed, because love also heals. I will find myself no longer living in fear, because fear drives out love, but love drives out fear. I will find myself learning how to love people that I didn't choose, which will make me a better human when I leave this house. And we need better humans our society and what i love about campus ministry one of the reasons why i gave my life to it for eight years is because it's in the passion of campus ministry it's in the everyday ongoing participation in the mission of god on the college campus that i can learn how to live courageously anybody can go out and stand in a protest not everyone understands that in the kingdom of God, the greatest protest of all is a courageous love that welcomes all people. That's the protest. And that's different. We can choose hope. We can choose courage. But we can't have safety with it. And see, I think that's what we see in Christ. I think that's what God shows us in Christ. Because God shows us that courage of all things leads us to a place where we are compelled to love. And even to love requires courage. Because one of the things that I think incarnation teaches us, that Jesus teaches us, Jesus coming to us, is that love does what is easy. Our love doesn't do what is easy, it does what is right. And see I think that's the other problem. Our society's always taking the easy road. And safety is easy. It's easy to keep that thing to myself. It's easy to not entrust my life to someone else, because I have been hurt and wounded. But if I'm willing to love, to love courageously, and do what's hard, I might find healing along the way. See, that is where life begins to flourish. There are people on this campus, and you know it because there are people in this room who have been hurt and wounded and burned by Christianity, by Christians, by family systems, by society and systems of justice, and qualities. But what would happen in the society of God that we oftentimes call the church, which is supposed to be an alternative governing body of people in all other world governments because we are the kingdom of God. What would happen if we begin to embody something different? What if we would embody this kind of courageous love that's not afraid to invest in the life of another, especially others that society tells us aren't worth investing in. So, which, as I kind of close this, leads me to the final part of the story here. See, this parable that I just offered us is immediately followed up by another story. And here's how the story goes. This is Jesus. When some man comes in his glory and all the angels, he will sit on the throne of his Lord. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another just shepherds shepherd separate the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you for the foundation of the world. Read this with me, please, everybody. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. See, these are the people that society would have said aren't worth investing in. And I think that's why this story falls on the heels of the other story. It's not about money. It's not about economics. It's about... What will a community of life-giving, self-giving love people give? What will they create if they learn to invest in life together? They'll create life. And they'll create life on the margins. And where's Jesus finding the Gospels every time? The margins. Yes, on the margins. The Gospel was birthed on the margins. Life is birthed on the margins. People ask me, oh, Lord, why are you loving more? <laughs> yeah, I really I didn't get that question. Like, why are you?
1: life is found on the mark because i'm saved again and again when i go out into
0: the margins of the society and because they're the ones with the open hands not only is jesus there look what the text says let's read christian text so so the righteous will answer Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see a stranger and took you in or without clothes and clothed you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? It's common like, oh, this question, right? you are just asking, you kept saying to me, when 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 did you when did you say this to you? When did we see you do this? And Jesus said, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did what? To me. To me. See, in the history of the Christian tradition, in 2,000 years of church history, there was always a belief that when you welcome the least, when you welcome the people into your community that the community around you said weren't welcome, that you always welcomed Christ. And you know what happens when you invest in the life of Christ? It multiplies. Does that make sense? It's about investing in the lives of everyone, but especially those that society tells us aren't worth the best you. And you know the rest of the story. If you don't, it goes like this. So Jesus looked at the other group. And he said, I don't even know who you are. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison and you didn't take care of me. And then they, too, would answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And then he will answer them and say, I'll show you whatever you did not do for one of these, least of these, you did not do for me either. So now here's the thing. We, American students, we live in a society and in a country that is completely objectified poly- and made people policies. We've objectified humanity by removing the humanity from ourselves and made it about debates. We have dehumanized one another inadvertently in the name of party political ideologies or other types of conversations. And the church has fallen guilty of the same thing. If you have a chance to model something, you have a chance to enter into those spaces and let love be your protest. Let the grace of God make you more gracious and welcome the unwelcome. Because that is what Christ did. It's just an army, that's what it did. And when you invest in that, the Spirit does something in and through your community that has the power to change not only. you've got to decide tonight if you're going to choose safety, you know, because you've got exams and paper write. Or are you going to choose courage? You can't have both. Not if you're going to follow Jesus. <coughs> because He will take you and lead you to the hard places so that you and I can learn how to love. Because love doesn't do what's easy. It does what's right, even when it's hard. And it trusts God with you. InterVarsity is going to be a courageous community that loves with a self-giving love, chooses safety over courage. You'll learn to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You'll learn to treat others as you would be treated. These are all the things Jesus said. You'll learn to forgive those who have wronged you because you have been forgiven. You'll learn to bless those who hate you and pray for those who persecute. You'll learn to do what is right and stand up in the face of evil and stand with the oppressed instead of defaulting back to safe ideology or willful mind or denial. You, you choose safety, you choose courage over safety, you'll be able to charge the darkness with the light of love and refuse to retreat into the markers of safety. And you will see growth in this community. So the good news is, you can choose courage. So you can go to a Christian bookstore. You can buy a magnet or a bumper sticker or probably a t-shirt that says,
1: No place is safer
0: than in the Willow (laughs) Bell. Have you seen that? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, Yeah, okay. If it's hanging in your house, do not (laughs) not you. Here's the thing. You're not going to convince the first 400 years of the church's existence who experienced unbelievable amounts of martyrdom that the will of safe. And one of the things we failed to realize about the early church is they were able to die because they had nothing to fear. They had nothing to give but love in no a matter of the And the fun thing for us is we're not going to get mauled by a arena of lions. <laughs> um, like we just have to learn to love our neighbor, our the person sitting next to us. And so here's the word the good news the God who the skill and he calls us to courage is the same one who will endow within us through his spirit the courage to do it all he needs to just willing hands and feet. You're not here to get a degree alone. You know that, right? If like you great. But when you stand before Jesus, he's not going to be like, dude, I'm your GPA. wait, what's up? not Like, you're not going to be in the chorus of your family going, woo, come on! Like, a school is great and all, but it's not the thing. You're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and be like, I had this great job, and I'm retired 20 years. Here's my seashell. Like, like, look at my seashell collection from all of my time in the deeps. Like, he's going to be like. "Because <laughs> like, not how he's going to be. Like, the thing he's going to look at is, you're not, he's just going to say, it's well done, my good and faithful. servant,' sure, Right? Like, not well studied, not well read, not well heard, not well intended, but well. What? Done. done. And then done, the done that we have to do. How about that Only done that you have you that you have called us to a life of love because you've given us love. like We, we have your love. We don't have to fight for your attention; We have it. We just have to learn to give it our own you. You love us. You see us. You know us best. You love us most. We are who we are. And you receive us fully. You love us as we are and as we should be. And what's great about you, Father, and what is frustrating at times is that you don't just let us bask in it. With a knee-centered kind of mentality for love, you, you then call us to participate in that love by learning how to, to give what it is we received, And in doing so, learn how to fully receive what it is you're going to give. It's crazy, your economy of love. Father, we lack courage sometimes, and we choose safety. Father, grant with us, within us, your spirit, within the relationships of our lives opportunities to train for courage. Father, over the next three minutes of quiet, for some of us will sit and pray, where some of us will be quiet, where some of us will be talk with someone else, over these next few minutes, Father, would you stir our hearts even more. We call this courageous love.